Welcome to Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. I'm your host, Aviva Levin. As always, I'm chatting with educators of all types who are on the forefront of pedagogy or making effective changes to old practices. Your lesson, should you choose to accept it, is to teach PE and health with a focus on all students' needs. The special agent assigned to help you with this task is Stephanie Ferry. As will soon become clear, I was not a gym kid. In high school, I despised physical education and health class. Though paradoxically, I always really liked my PE teachers. I never blamed them for me dreading their class. Instead, I blamed myself for not being good at team sports or not having a body that conformed to the worksheets about the ideal BMI. Now, as an adult, I can look back and put the blame where I think it should be. On a curriculum within a system that, as we discuss in this episode, didn't respond to the needs of all students. Fortunately, there are teachers like Stephanie Ferry who are creating programs that are student-centered and adaptive to students' physical and emotional needs. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that I have a ton of Women's History Month resources for a variety of levels and ages on the Lesson Impossible blog. One of my favorite activities that I created is focused on interrogating quotes around womanhood, which might fit in well with the work Stephanie and educators like her are doing. Moreover, if you want more interviews around inclusive sex ed, or single-sex education, check out episodes 6 and 10 respectively in our archives. Finally, as always, if you want to support Lesson Impossible, the best way to do so is to rate and review on your podcast app and or share a link with friends and colleagues. Good luck with your not-so-impossible lesson with Agent Stephanie Ferry. All right, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining me and my listeners on the Lesson Impossible podcast. Yes, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Now, before we begin, do you mind giving, in your own words, a summary of who you are and what your role in education is? Yes. uh, My name is Stephanie Ferry, and I'm currently department chair for uh, the fitness and wellness program at the Archer School for Girls. We're located in Los Angeles um, in Brentwood. And I've been at Archer for 15 years. So Archer is the school that brought me to the West Coast. And I've been here ever since. Uh, We are a single sex school. We're an all girls school, grades six through 12. And throughout my time here, I've worked with other amazing educators on developing what we have now is a holistic fitness and wellness program that I'm really excited to talk about with you today. Yeah. So to just give a little bit of background for how we ended up chatting, I was responding to a Twitter thread about people's ideal classes, that if they could create them, what would they be? And my response was health and wellness for female identifying students specifically. And I said, I didn't love to learn exercise, understand how my body functions, work on my mental health, get out of the thin equals healthy mentality, or learn about consent until adulthood. I'd love that to change for my students. And I got a reply being like, 
hey, Aviva, that exists. Talk to Stephanie. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just nodding my head along as I hear you um, talk about that description because I too uh, did not experience um, any of those topics in my background as a student, um, which is why I just love what I do so much because from personal experience, like you said, Aviva, I know how valuable this programming is for our students. So I have so many questions, but I guess my first is please describe to me what your beautiful ideal program, or not even ideal, what your real life program looks like. If I'm a student at your school, what is my health and wellness and PE education going to look like? Yes. Um, So we, logistically speaking, our school operates on an eight-day rotation schedule. And so students meet with classes five out of those eight days. So on any given week, our students have our fitness and wellness class, which is either playing sports and games on our backfield, or they're working on strength and conditioning in our training center. They might be doing meditation or yoga. And then we have one class out of those five designated as what we call human development. So basically our health class. And that is focused on developmentally appropriate topics that um, are around, you know, healthy relationships, communication, consent, sexual health, nutrition, mental health, depression, and it's geared directly towards our students and where they're at. And, you know, we found ourselves with this amazing program because it's a student-centered uh, fitness and wellness program at its heart. So, we arrived at where we are teaching a holistic, um, or we have a holistic approach because over the years we realized that's what our students needed. Um, so it's been a really organic process getting here. Um, I've been here, as I mentioned, 15 years, we started off with more of a like sports specific model in PE and our human development program was separate from our fitness program. And we've just landed in this really um, beautiful spot where the programs are intertwined, they're connected, um, they build off of each other. And I think it's just a beautiful thing for our students. I'm going to share a little bit about what my high school experience was like, which I think might be similar to some of my listeners' high school's experience. And maybe we can do a bit of like a compare and, and contrast to, to the what you have now. Awesome. So my high school PE was taught by uh, a bunch of old white guys uh, who would always be wearing shorts, even in winter, and had whistles around their neck. Many of them, like, really nice. Um, a big shout-out to Mr. Forbes, who, whenever it was time to to do my PE testing, uh, the goal or whatever the, the mark was would always be, like, suspiciously two feet closer than from anybody else, uh, just to give me uh, a shot. <laughs> um, once a year, we would stop having to wear our gym strip, which, of course, we would be deducted marks if we didn't bring. And we were shoved into a classroom of 
was on their prep and we had a series of lectures on not doing drugs, uh, why sex can be really dangerous and teen pregnancy will make our lives miserable for the rest of forever. Um, and then, you know, we do the sex health, which either a nurse came in or one of the poor te- PE teachers would have to do as they like blushed bright purple for the entirety of the class and stammered their way through it. Uh, and then that was the end of that. Uh, so how is yours different? <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, and I'm right there with you. Although I don't even think I had sex education at all outside of like the fifth grade nurse coming in to talk about menstruation with all of the girls. Um, so our program is so different, which is so amazing. And so where do I, I start? I guess um, one thing that's um, very much different is we do offer like a year-long program, right? So that HD class meets throughout the year. Um, similar to your experience, I was used to having like you know, health education for one quarter of the year as sort of like a, a one-off, like you had your health classes and then you, you know, moved on with your life. So one thing, um, here is our program is integrated throughout the year. And I think that's amazing. Um, it allows us to pace out topics nicely and be really responsive to the needs of our students. So, you know, we do have a scope and sequence. We hope to cover, um, certain skills, but the content and the context in which we teach those skills um, can vary. So you might be familiar, or some of the listeners out there might be familiar with skills-based education, um, skills-based health education. And so it focuses on things like interpersonal communication, accessing valid and reliable information, analyzing influence, Influences are three examples. And so within our class, the context in which we teach those in sixth through 12th grade can vary. And it can vary on the climate of what students are going through. So like political climate or um, controversies out there, COVID related, for example, Um, or it can just uh, vary based on things are going through in their life, friendship conflicts and things like that. So the responsiveness of our, of our program is very different, I think, than like that experience, Aviva, that you were talking about. Um, something else is that our classes are very discussion-based. They're not lectures. There's no teacher at the head of the classroom, um, you know, bestowing information onto students or telling them this is bad, this is good. It's a discussion. Uh, so we talk about you mentioned drug education. Um, we discuss decisions around how to make healthy decisions for yourself around drugs and edu- um, drug education is like through that lens. So as opposed to the message like don't do drugs, um, we talk about the risk factors. Um, we talk about addiction. We talk about family history. And we allow students to make decisions for themselves um, versus it being like a top-down uh, sort of Um, thing coming from a teacher. And, you know, we give information to students on a need-to-know basis. Um, We're learning in health education, um, those of you health educators out there, that students don't need to know every fact about um, cocaine and the chemical makeup of it to make a healthy decision to not choose to do the drug. Um, So that's a 
a way that we're navigating that here at Archer as well, is talking about what skills, what things students need to know to make health-enhancing decisions um, and have health-enhancing behaviors. It's funny that you mentioned that because uh, I went to high school with my my husband and we were having a conversation about, uh, I forget what it was, but I was like, well, don't you remember that from health class? And he just looked at me and was like, no, I didn't memorize all of the worksheets that we were handed out in health class. <laughs> and yeah, that, you know, just because you give kids information, there's going to be that one nerd in the back that was me that's going to retain it for the next 25 years. But that's probably not going to be the shared experience of everybody there. Totally. And knowledge is power. Absolutely. But, um, what we find, I think as health and PE teachers out there is we have limited time. Um, even at Archer, we find that our time in the human development classroom is limited. We have, um, 20 to maybe 30 classes to cover, you know, a lifespan of health and nutrition and all of that, all of those, um, well-being topics. So being really, um, poignant and being really thoughtful about, you know, um, what do our student, students need to know to um, improve their wellness and then giving them lots of time to practice. Um, so if they're trying to practice how to ask for help when it comes to topics around mental health and depression, um, they don't need to know, you know, the chemical makeup of the brain to necessarily know or be able to ask for help when they notice that their mood is, is shifting in a way that's troublesome. Yeah, one of the things that I think is so strong about the model that you have is, so for, in my experience, uh, one of my former jobs was delivering and creating presentations. So uh, we did suicide prevention, relationship abuse recognition, um, employment law for students, those kinds of things. And they were really, I mean, valuable workshops, if I do say so myself, but there's something about, you know, someone coming in and then leaving once it's done versus that teacher that you've created a relationship delivering that content, I think can be so strong. Absolutely. Um, for years, you know, we've brought in guest speakers to talk about topics around eating disorders, drug education, um, and not to to say that those guest speakers um, aren't bad or bad or that it wasn't worthwhile for students, but I just think what we're slowly realizing is, you know, an hour of just putting information on students, um, and then, like you said, having that person leave. Um, might not best serve our students, you know, and, and having more of an internal in-house person um, working on the skills is what we're finding a much more valuable experience for our students. I know, for, again, for me, I uh, nutrition was kind of part of it, but we were given sort of like, again, a booklet about nutrition, and then we were supposed to keep track of our calorie counts that we all lied on in our little booklet. And then it was, I think, marked out of 10 for how well we ate that week or something like that. And I think I, along with many other students, you know, uh, especially growing up in the time that I did, you know, 90s and early aughts, have a really or had a, a really disordered relationship with food. And I, that was something that I wish I had had the ability to express and understand more as a teen. And in my early twenties, how, how has that curriculum changed? It's, it's really developed, you know, um, and it's challenging conversations around food 
you know, and exercise through the lens of, uh, you know, weight. Um, it's, it's challenging. We want to encourage people to nourish themselves. We want to encourage people to move and exercise. But as you're mentioning, Aviva, the relationship um, or students' relationship with exercise and food is a tricky one, especially around the teenage years. Um, so our nutrition uh, units or the way we approach nutrition has shifted. Um, like you said, from um, it's shifted from like a log. It's shifted from even, you know, the my plate to really understanding food as fuel um, and uh, what we call like normalized eating, um, which is a concept that some of the listeners might uh, know about. And that um, students are able to understand that all food uh, has, has some impact on their body um, and to sort of, based on who they are and what they're doing that day or that week, able to eat foods that are going to nourish them for what they need to do. So that could be birthday cake to celebrate with their friends on a birthday, or it could be to think about carb or protein intake if they've got a track meet that day. Um, so in that way, looking at food in the more like holistic vision looking at food over the span of weeks and months versus calorie counting by day, um, encouraging students to drink water also and introducing um, that concept. Uh, and then noticing like when students feel satisfied, what foods make them feel happy. Um, and just, it's, it's always, I have to say, it's one of the messier conversations. Uh, I think adults and teens alike want to know the right formula, right? What do I have to eat to maybe look this certain way? And it takes a long time, um, longer than we see our students here from six through 12 to like unpack some of those messages that, um, they're facing. But I find discussions around nutrition are more beneficial, if not equally as beneficial as, um, students understanding, you know, what a carbohydrate is, uh, it's really just sort of unpacking the relationship with food as opposed to what, what do I eat is another piece of it. Yeah. I, I can see too how, like, I never really enjoyed, uh, exercise. I run now and I love running and that wasn't something that I did when I was in high school because I was constantly being measured of how fast I was compared to other people. And now I can go and like, you know, if my three miles takes someone else, you know, half the time, it doesn't matter because I'm loving what I'm doing while I'm doing it and I'm feeling in my body. And that was something again, that I, I had to figure out on my own. What are ways in which you're able to, and perhaps I, I'm making gendered assumptions, but I feel especially for like female identifying students, that competitiveness around physical movement, that's what really turned me off from the beginning. Yes. Um, one of my favorite activities to do with my seventh graders at the beginning of the year is I lay out all these um, emojis. They're on little squares of paper, a variety of smiley faces, angry faces, sad faces, sweaty, all, all the different emojis. And I ask my students to pick out one face that represents a previous experience they had in physical education um, and one that represents but the experience they want to have this year. And through that, I really get to understand, you know, 
um, the background of my students and what they've sort of been through, whether it was fitness testing or whether it was boys being praised, um, in their co-ed elementary schools. Um, and I also get the chance to, to see what they, you know, what they want to do this year and they want to have fun. They want to, some of them want to be competitive, but they want to do it in a safe environment where, you know, it's like they're part of it and the competitiveness is not being like, um, pushed on them to the running piece you were talking about. There's always a handful there that have that little sweaty emoji face and they're like, this is because we had to run the mile every year. Um, or do we have to do that this year, coach Ferry? And I immediately say, no, um, we don't do fitness testing here. Um, that's not to say throughout our years in programming, um, we do push students to increase their heart rate to, if they have a goal to do 10 push-ups, we'll find ways to support that, but we don't do any of the, you know, presidential fitness tests. Um, we got rid of those years ago because we found that they were not best serving our students and it wasn't motivating. It was doing the opposite. Students would dread it. The amount of doctor's notes we would get the day we were going to run the mile um, was like incredible, you know? So we realized early on, <laughs> yeah, that, it, that that was not the route to go anymore. Um, so we foster competitiveness. We do it in ways of sports and games. We make things low stakes. We also don't grade. We don't have letter grades here. We're a pass-fail course. Um, which again, makes things low stakes. And I, I would say we have students dressing out, participating and loving fitness more than ever, um, because they're doing it from an internal motivation, not the external grade or the, um, fear of being the slowest person in the mile or whatever that is. Um, and it took us years to get here. Um, I wanted letter grades when I first started at Archer, I pushed for letter grades, um, because I was like, students aren't going to take this class seriously if they don't have a grade attached to it. And about four years ago, we were just like, no, this is not, we're gr grading students on if they have a t-shirt and shorts, like, what are we doing? This is not the way we're not getting the results that we want. Um, and I'm really proud of us for taking that leap and, and where our program has come. Do you have like a unit or a lesson that is your favorite that you've developed that you're really proud of and that you wouldn't mind walking us through? This is a unit I'm about to start. Um, and to frame it, um, you know, scaffolding is such a big part of teaching, especially in the middle school realm. So um, this year I um, started the year off by reading um, a book called Huddle. It's written by uh, CNN News anchor Brooke Baldwin. Um, it was a book that my athletics director uh, turned me on to, and I started the year reading it. And the book is uh, about you know groups of women coming together to uh, support each other, um, to bolster each other up. And um, huddle is obviously a huge sports term. And so I started, I usually start the year um, with like uh, community building activities, team building activities and teamwork. And I thought instead of calling it cooperative games, which is normally what I call my unit, I named the unit how to huddle. And I thought, you know, I spend a lot of time giving my students challenges to figure out at the beginning of the year, but I don't necessarily really stop and slow down and talk about how to work as a team, how to communicate and giving them space to do that. 
So early on in the year, we talked about what a huddle is, how to use it. When do you need a huddle? When, when do you call for one? If you call for one, what do you say when you're in the huddle? Um, and I have what I call huddle cards. So I have these laminated cards. And so, for example, now we're in this ultimate Frisbee unit. Students, when they realize maybe their team is losing, maybe communication's not going well, um, maybe they're not playing great defense, they can call a timeout and they can call a huddle. And they can take two minutes with their team and group up. And what I'm finding is it's such an empowering tool. Um, instead of me as the teacher, like on the sideline, like you're not playing defense right or move over, create space, close space. There, It's putting it on the students to observe what's going on. And it's helping them um, or it's empowering them to work with their team for a common goal. So that's... Um, one unit at the beginning of the year that um, I really just enjoyed. The huddle cards was like, I think the success of it. There was a couple iterations of it as we worked through it. Um, so there's questions on the card, like, you know, what is your role? What is the common goal of the team? What's uh, working well? What's not? Um, it encourages one voice at a time. So the huddle card acts as a talking piece. Um, so whoever has a card should be the one sharing. It in also encourages um, everyone's voice to be heard. Uh, so so making sure there's time to hear from people. And it also has a piece about validation. So although there may be a teammate's idea that we're not going to use, we want to validate the contribution of that teammate, um, which I think is really important. Um, and then one other unit I'm really excited about, there's a game called Socket Ball, which um, some people might be familiar. It's a hybrid between basketball and soccer. It's um, an equipment set that you can... Um, buy off of like gopher sports and it's this huge like basketball like net that you put in the middle and students have to essentially get the ball into this net using a series of juggling tricks and basketball moves and what i love about it is no student has ever played socket ball before so when you think about, especially in middle school, there's such a varying degree of athleticism, it levels the playing field because you might have some students that are great at soccer and juggling, but they're not familiar with basketball. Um, or you might have students that play basketball, but they're not that familiar with soccer. And certainly no students ever played a hybrid game of it. So I love games that um, we talked about that competitive piece and um, making it low stakes uh, like I said, that a game like that sort of levels that playing field and makes everybody engaged and interested. So I love offering games um, like that where people might not have heard of it and no one person is super good at it yet because we're all learning. We're all beginners. Yeah, nobody can go to a, a prime socket ball <laughs> summer camp over the summer and get coached by Olympic coaches in socket ball. Exactly. Everybody's challenged mentally to think about it. Um, so it also engages those, those high level athletes as well as, uh, students who are, um, not so like team sport inclined. I loved the huddle cards and I loved what you said about scaffolding and that we can't assume that our students have those leadership skills to begin with. And that oftentimes we'll praise leaders, but we never really get into the meat of what it is they're doing and how other people can become good leaders like that. And I, 
like just as you were talking, I'm like, I want huddle cards in my classroom. Like if a, a group is working on something together and things aren't going well, like I want them to pull out a huddle card because it doesn't matter if it's ultimate Frisbee or trying to put together, you know, a paragraph, those skills transfer. Absolutely. And that's one thing I love about fitness class in linking it to other classes like you're talking about, where uh, a lot of what I teach is how does this apply outside of the team sport and fitness realm? You know, how does this apply to your science lab or how does it apply to your group work in English class? Um, Life skills, right? It's about teaching students and giving them practice on the life skills and the game and the Frisbee is the fun part of it, but it's um, really about supporting them as human beings. And that's another um, piece of our fitness program as a whole is, you know, teaching the human, the human um, and helping, helping them navigate those aspects for sure. For yourself, what would you say is a struggle that you, you have and that you're looking to get better at? And, and what is a success that, that you've recently felt? A struggle, I think, falls for me um, in the human development realm. Um, time is is challenging. Um, getting to all the skills and all the topics I want to get to, um, and my, this goes for my department as well, is challenging. I feel like sometimes it's like someone snaps their fingers and it's May and we never talked about or we're just trying to get into sex education. We d- glazed over nutrition and we're just like out of time. So, um, as a department, we are again, trying to focus on the skills. So in the event we missed the topic or the context, the students hopefully have like the skill, um, interpersonal communication, for example, they have the still skills to communicate. So, Maybe we were able to talk about communication in the realm of mental health and asking a trusted adult for help. Um, and that if we, um, this wouldn't happen, but if we didn't have time for a conversation on consent, um, which we will make time for that conversation for sure, that that skill was practiced enough that a student could speak up for themselves in another realm. Um, so that's a challenge I think is fitting it all in. I think teachers in general feel that pressure. The school year moves quickly. And something that is going well is, you know, we're just, we're a responsive program. We seek student feedback um, continually through the year. We are fully prepared to like scrap what we were doing and change and shift directions if that's going to better serve our student population. Um, so I think, and that goes for human development also, which is sometimes why we run out of time because we detoured, um, in a different direction. Um, so I think what we do really well, what I do really well is, is, uh, being a student centered, student driven program. If someone was given a block of PE slash health or human development or whatever their school call calls it. And they're like, Oh my God, I've never taught this before. What is your piece of advice to that person to get them going? I think start off with student feedback, like, um, get to know what your students prior experiences, get to know what's going to get them motivated. Um, so a student survey about, um, what sports they do like, uh, what health topics 
do they feel like um, is affecting their age group the most? Uh, there's a great article from Andy Milne. Um, it's about uh, data-driven teaching, and I used uh, his suggestions to start off my first HD class. Um, with my seventh graders looking at a list of health concerns and ranking the top three health concerns that affect people their age. Um, and that is why we started talking about mental health, depression, and suicide prevention. It was because that's what they felt. And it was a hard topic um, to talk about. I had students, they've, they've got some heavy stuff going on in their lives. Um, it makes it makes me sometimes want to just shy away from talking about it at all because I don't want anyone to be upset. But what came out of that conversation was so powerful um, that students, you know, as, as hard as it can be to talk about things, even nutrition sometimes, um, they're important conversations to have. So student input, you got to get out there and see what, what your students are going to be interested in and what prior experience they have, um, what stereotypes you need to overcome. Um, that's, I think, really is at the heart of heart of it. And then, you know, if, if your students are like, we don't want to move, we don't want to do this. That's a whole nother conversation to sort of have, um, you know, like, why is that? Um, you know, it, I think that also helps teachers look at the why. Um, one thing we talk about, um, I tell my students, you know, we're, we're in LA, many of our student population, um, they're involved in other other extracurricular activities, right? They're on club soccer teams. They swim outside of school. They're in theater. They're doing art. They're dancing. They're active. So we talk about what it means to do fitness in the middle of a school day, right? That it's a break from um, the computer. It's a break from their academic classes. It primes their brains to be sharper. I always tell my students, if you have class after fitness, you're going to go to that class um, a little sharper, a little bit tuned in, you're going to be able to sort of sit and pay attention easier than if you've been sitting all day. So breaking down like the, the why of fitness, um, we're in a lucky situation for us. I'm not worried about my students' physical activity. Like some other teachers in the, in the country are, um, you know, 60 minutes a day, most of our students, cause we ask them, we get that data do things outside of school. So it, it allows us to slow down and focus on that why of, um, you know, what, what the purpose of our fitness class is really all about. It's movement and a whole lot of other stuff. I like that. It's movement and. Yeah. It sounds like you and your department, you're constantly evolving the program and evolving your own teaching. Where do you look for inspiration to try new things? You've mentioned a couple of books, uh, an article. What other sorts of things motivate you to make positive changes? Twitter has been huge in my life. Um, I'm actually not on social media other than Twitter. Uh, part of my grad school program was to uh, have a social media account and start following other professionals in the field. So I chose Twitter. Um, I get a ton of ideas from other teachers there, um, links and suggestions. Um, so just shout out to everyone I'm following on Twitter. There's probably about 200 people. I'm just constantly inspired by, um, the games and the instruction, um, that's happening out there. I'll put a link to your Twitter so that listeners can follow you, but also go through the list of people you follow so that they can follow them as well if they want to. <laughs> yes, that is amazing. Thank you. 
you're talking about this amazing program, and I know that you are working specifically within a single sex environment. Do you see ways that this could be transferred to a a more dual sex or just everybody environment? I definitely think it could be. Um, and I would say, you know, I'm not in a co-ed environment. It seems, you know, splitting um, the girls and the boys up uh, in a middle school P- PE class seems wrong in so many ways nowadays, especially because, I mean, even within our single sex school, um, the gender binary and conversations around gender, gender roles, gender presentation, um, you know, we're having those conversations here. And so I can imagine, and I know how problematic it is for students to be asked to separate on the base of, um, their sex and, and then whatever gender is supposed to be attached to that. Um, I would say I see the benefits of having, um, a single sex education. I feel like the students here, um, no matter how they identify, you know, they're here, uh, they're more vulnerable. They are more apt to take risks. They are more excited to be the leader. Um, I think it's really about whether it's a co-ed school, a single sex school, um, you know, the teacher really getting to know their students, making sure if, if there are teams being created, that they're equitable, asking again for student input um, and taking the time to, um, you know, set the structures and the routines in place that then allow students to thrive. Um, and I think that translates into any type of school environment. I will say that in my own experience, my favorite parts of PE was when it was divided not by gender, but by, okay, everybody who wants to like really competitively play over here, people that are kind of like, eh, over here, and the people that are just like wanting to play around and have fun and don't really care who wins go over there. And and that was what where I was like, okay, I can find my people. Exactly. And that's an amazing system and structure that was set up. So, you know, that also requires knowing something about them, you know, like uh, understanding, you know, um, so we, in our upper school programs, students can be exempt if they're playing uh, a sport for that season, right? So right now we're, um, say, volleyball and cross country season. So those students are exempt. Now we've got like swimmers and track athletes that are waiting for their exemption in spring. And so they're like off season athletes, right? Then we've got some students that are in our program year round. Um, they're more involved in our arts programming. And so they're in that class year round. And so we're able to differentiate the curriculum and the scaffolding and the scope and sequence and all of that to sort of fit the needs of all of our students. Uh, choice, right, is another um, thing that makes teaching more equitable for our students is offering them choice, offering them options, just like you mentioned. And I, I think there's also what you mentioned before about getting to know your students and having them get to know each other at the beginning of the school year. Like I, I think about, especially in a big school, like how little you know about someone. And so it's really hard to, you know, be willing to pass them the ball if that's the difference between your team winning or losing, if you just see them as the person that doesn't throw that well, versus knowing more about them and being like, no, I know that, you know, Aviva's goal this semester is that she makes one basket. Like, I'm going to facilitate that. 
Yeah, exactly. And it's a work, you know, it takes time. Uh, I think in my early years of teaching, I just so quickly wanted a team to work cohesively together. And what I'm realizing, you know, now um, more is that that takes time. So one thing I love to do is get students on their teams early. So when they're playing lead up games, when they're working on skills, they're um, like you were saying, invested and getting to know each other. So when it's time for the competition, there's that rapport and that relationship there. There's that cohesiveness as a team because they have that investment. Um, one uh, thing I, I also, I mentioned that a lot of what I do in my fitness classes is not just about the movement. It's not just about learning to kick the ball. Um, so we have what I call habits of mind. Um, I'm sure many of the teachers in the, in your listening community, um, you know, it's like that metacognitive sort of realm where we talk about, we have six habits of mind, um, which is seeking and applying feedback, playing with purpose, acting ethically, managing impulsivity, communicating with clarity and striving for accuracy. And those six habits of mind, um, or like learning dispositions, they travel throughout the entire year with us. Um, and I found that having those six, um, pieces to ground us is really, um, helps with that. Like you're saying that cohesive and investment like peace. Um, in addition, we also have like our community guidelines. So, um, we use an acronym ropes. Um, I got that from an article from Andy Milne as well. Um, and as a, as a community of seventh graders, it's, um, respect, openness, perseverance, energy, and support. Those are the five words that we came up with the acronym for ropes. So, so we talk about the habits of mind and ropes at the beginning of every class because I want to show my students that I'm invested in helping them build those skills outside of this is how you throw a Frisbee. This is how you create space on offense. Um, and, and that ties in to that life skills piece. It ties into like you were talking about the group work in, in other classes like English and in science. Um, and I find it also takes the pressure off of the sports performance piece as well. Stephanie, thank you so much. I know that uh, this is going to be inspiring for teachers in the health and fitness realm. And hopefully for those like me that aren't in that realm, but want to know more about what's happening and also can adapt some of the awesome teaching techniques that you are invested in into their own classroom. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for highlighting our program and for allowing me this opportunity. I really appreciate it. This episode will not self-destruct in five seconds, but will remain available on your preferred podcasting platform. Lesson Impossible is proud to be one of the many amazing school rubric podcasts. Links to resources or people we mentioned and information in general about the podcast can be found at LessonImpossible.com. If you enjoy the podcast, you can help other listeners discover it by rating and reviewing on iTunes forwarding it to a colleague, or posting a link in your favorite educational chat. This has been Lesson Impossible, and I was your host, Aviva Levin. 